Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is twenty cubits, and its width ten cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is in one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out to close the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief, and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Then the angel who, who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it, and when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven, after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white one goes after them, and the double one goes towards the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you uh, at church on this uh, very chilly morning. Um, welcome to all our regulars and partners, and uh, especially if you're joining us for the first time, uh, let me uh, add my welcome to uh, Chris's. Uh, it's really wonderful to see you here this morning, and uh, I hope that this is the first of many times uh, that you can enjoy us uh, here at church at nine. Uh, well, it would be great if you can have Zechariah chapter 5 open in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, throw up your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. Um, but uh, it would be uh, important that you follow along uh, in the scriptures um, as uh, we have a look at it closely this morning. Uh, have a 
I'll lead us in prayer, and then uh, we'll get stuck into it. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us uh, together as your people uh, around your word this morning. And uh, Father, we pray that uh, as we listen to the things you say, uh, that you will give us attentive hearts and that you would soften our hearts uh, to uh, obey you and to repent of sin uh, and to know the joy of following our Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, raise our hands up if you have the responsibility of throwing out the garbage in your home. Hands up if you have the responsibility. Uh, it's mostly the men, I can see. Uh, good to see. Um, it's my responsibility to throw the garbage out in, in my household. Uh, one of my children is responsible for the recycling. Uh, another one is responsible for feeding the dog. Not that, you know, that happens very much. Uh, another one is responsible for unstacking the dishwasher. But it's my job uh, to throw out the garbage. And uh, it's a dirty job, isn't it? It's smelly. It's unhygienic. You know, often there is that bin juice that's kind of collected at the bottom of the bin uh, that needs to be cleaned up. But it's much better to get rid of the garbage than to leave it to pile up in the home, isn't it? Uh, now, we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Zechariah for a while now, and uh, specifically we've been looking at um, the visions that the prophet Zechariah has in the first half of the book. And today, we're going to be looking at the final three visions. Uh, you might remember that, that there are eight visions overall, and uh, today we're going to look at the, the final three. And uh, I want to suggest that these final visions are all about God throwing out the garbage in his city, so to speak. It's about God throwing out from his city the things that he does not want. And uh, you can see this in the way things are said to be going out in these visions. Uh, so, for example, have a look with me at chapter 5, verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3, Zechariah sees a curse that is going out over the city of Jerusalem. Uh, in verse 5, chapter verse 5, verse 5, Zechariah sees a basket that is going out of the city of Jerusalem into a foreign land. And uh, finally, in chapter 6, verse 5, uh, Zechariah sees four chariots that are going out to wage war. Uh, and to wage war on the things that have been thrown out of God's city. And so, friends, uh, in the end, uh, these visions are really all about whether you and I belong to the city of God. It's all about whether God will accept you and I as part of his city or whether he will discard us because we are unacceptable to him and unclean and part of what God needs to remove from this world in order to transform his city into a glorious and righteous one. Now, turn with me uh, to the first vision that we will look at closely today, uh, which is really the sixth vision uh, in the sequence of eight visions. And you'll notice that, uh, that the vision Zachariah sees is that of a, a flying scroll, a flying scroll. 
scroll, which of course was how um, you know, people in the ancient world wrote down things um, and recorded them. But notice the detail. Uh, in verse 2, the scroll is very obviously a huge scroll. So it measures 20 cubits long by 10 cubits wide. In our metric system, that's about 10 meters long by 5 meters wide. A huge scroll. I mean, I don't think even the roof is 10 meters. It probably goes through the roof. And yet, uh, this isn't a happy scroll um, or a happy book like, you know, Mr. Happy in the Mr. Men series. Rather, in verse 3, we are told that the scroll represents a curse that is going out over the land. Uh, I don't think this is talking about a curse going over the whole earth at this point. Rather, it's a curse that is going over the land of Israel so that God can sift through his very own people to see who belongs to him and who doesn't. Further, Notice that in the second half of verse 3, we are also told that this scroll is a double-sided scroll. Did you notice that? Uh, what do we think about when we hear about double-sided scrolls in the Old Testament? I wonder. Well, um, I don't know whether you remember, but uh, the Ten Commandments uh, that were given to Moses during the time of the Exodus was actually written on the tablets of stone on both sides. Uh, it was a double-sided document. But secondly, you might recall that in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 2, Ezekiel is actually given a double-sided scroll to eat. And he's told that this scroll is actually a word of judgment on his people for their sin. And so what this flying scroll seems to represent uh, is a word of judgment uh, on any of the people in that land who were involved in these sins and who uh, refused to live God's way under God's covenant obligations. Uh, who is it that is being judged here? And who is it that is being cursed by God? Well, again, in verse 3, it seems to be the one who steals as well as the one who swears falsely. Now, uh, we're not told exactly uh, why it's these two sins that are mentioned specifically here uh, and not others. I mean, you know, the prohibition against stealing and the prohibition against uh, swearing falsely is only uh, two out of the Ten Commandments. Uh, perhaps you know, these were the particular sins that uh, the people of Israel struggled with um, as they returned uh, to Jerusalem from Babylon when they were in exile. But what seems to have been happening is that those who were guilty of stealing and those who were guilty of swearing falsely were actually getting away with it in the land of Israel. Uh, if you have a look at verse 3, uh, where it mentions uh, these people being cleaned out. Uh, you, you see those words? Um, that these people are being cleaned out according to what is written on the scroll? Well, the words cleaned out is actually um, literally 
the word to be acquitted. To be acquitted. That is, while these people were actually guilty of stealing and of swearing falsely and telling lies, they were being acquitted in, in the Jewish courts so that justice was not being done. However, in this vision, you can see in verse 4 that God says, He will find the thief. And He will find the one who swears falsely. And He will consume them. He will destroy not only their houses, but those who are guilty of these things. Now, friends, I have a confession to make. I've been guilty of stealing. Um, I remember in primary school, uh, my teacher actually set up a, a toy cash register and uh, put a whole bunch of coins uh, in the cash register to teach us, you know, how to handle money and how to give the right change and that sort of thing. But uh, when the teacher was not looking, I remember taking a handful of coins and uh, putting it in my pocket and uh, shouting all my friends some hot chips on the way back home after school. Um, I confess uh, I stole the money and uh, I've lived with this strange guilty feeling uh, for the last, you know, 40 years. But my guess is that you also have stolen things as well. Is that true? Perhaps you've stolen money. Perhaps you've stolen by illegally downloading software or movies or songs. Perhaps you've found other, you know, um, acceptable ways to steal. And so, is this passage saying that everyone who has stolen or has told a lie will be consumed by God in the end because we are guilty. Yeah, if it is, then we're all in a little bit of trouble, don't you think? Because I suspect that I'm not the only one in this room that has stolen something in my life. But no, I don't think that's what is being said here. For uh, if you read passages like this in context, uh, which is so important when we read the Bible, you will know that previously, we have seen a vision in chapter 3 of Joshua the high priest. And uh, do you remember what happened in that vision? Well, Joshua the high priest had uh, filthy clothes representing sin, which God removes and uh, which uh, he, uh, he reclothes so that Joshua the high priest can make sacrifices in order to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. So, in other words, those who repent and turn back to God through the high priest can have sins atoned for and be in the right before God. And yet, what this passage is talking about is the unrepentant and those who persist in sin without turning back to God or having any seriousness about changing their ways, he said. You see, friends, uh, there is a huge difference between the person who says to God, uh, 
I'm guilty of sinning, and I'm sorry about my sin. And so please forgive me through the blood of Jesus, and please help me because I really do want to change. There's a huge difference between the person who says that to God and the person who says, well, uh, I don't care about the things that you say to God. I'm not going to turn to you. I'm not going to stop sinning. The things I'm doing in my life are actually very convenient for me at the moment. And so I'm just going to continue on doing the things that I want to do. I'll just think that by going to church, it'll all be okay. You can see there in verse 4 that it is the thief and the one who swears falsely who is consumed by God in the end. That is, it is the one who has the central character of being a thief and the central character of being a liar who in the end God will consume. Rather than the one who slips up from time to time, but who returns to God. So my question to you and me this morning, friends, is, uh, are you and I people who are in the habit of repenting of our sin? Are you and I in the habit of people, uh, are you and I are people who are in the habit of repenting of our sin? Uh, so often, the sin of stealing and the sin of lying go hand in hand, baby. For example, we might steal from the government, stealing, by lying on our tax returns, uh, by uh, under-reporting our income and over-reporting our deductions. Or we might steal by lying about our home address when we, uh, so that we get our, our children into certain schools. Lots of people lie about their address and put their grandmother's address so that they can get their children into certain schools these days. Only to deprive other people who perhaps are, are, are more needy of that place and thereby stealing. Or we might steal from the government by only accepting cash in our businesses so that we lie to the government about how our true income. How many businesses these days, often by people who claim to be Christian, insist on receiving cash because they want to under-report their income, you see? Do you engage in practices like this? Even though you claim to be a Christian person, but have no intention of repenting or ever changing those practices. Well, make no mistake, friends, if that is you, then God says that he not only knows, but one day he will find you out and consume you unless you repent. What God says here is actually a great comfort to Christian people who so often see other people getting away with injustice. For it says that God will one day bring justice but what God says here is also a warning for those who refuse to repent of their ways, isn't it? For God is not simply a God of love and forgiveness, but a God who is also a consuming fire. 
we move along to the next section, uh, or the next vision, you can see there that Zechariah sees you know, this strange vision of um, a basket flying out of Jerusalem. And when he asks the angel what this basket represents, the angel says in verse 6 that the basket represents iniquity or sin uh, in all the land of Israel. Uh, but notice again that we are given um, uh, quite a few interesting details here. Uh, and so, for example, in verse 7, we're told that the basket has a cover made of lead. And uh, when, when the cover is lifted from the basket, uh, a woman who is identified as wickedness kind of pops up out of the basket, and the angel takes the lead, you know, the heavy lead lid, and kind of forces her back down uh, so that she gets squashed back into the basket. That's a very strange sight, isn't it? Now, uh, what does all this mean? Uh, well, we've been seeing already that uh, the basket and the woman represent sin and iniquity and wickedness in the land, haven't we? But more specifically, uh, I think that what Zachariah is seeing here is the particular sin of greed and idolatry. Greed and idolatry. And why do I think that? Well, firstly, you can see it in the basket. For the basket that is described here is actually the word uh, ephah uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, if you have a Bible with footnotes, uh, you can see there in verse 6, can't you, uh, that the word basket has a little footnote at the bottom of your Bible which says the word ephah, uh, which was a, a small container that uh, was often used to measure out the grain in the land of Israel. In other words, the basket that, you know, Zechariah is seeing here is not just any old basket that you would buy from Kmart. Uh, it was actually a basket that was used in commerce. And some of you might know that in the Old Testament, God's people were often rebuked for um, tampering with the basket uh, for unjust gain because they were greedy. Uh, that's what they put um, a, a lead weight in there so that when grain was measured, uh, it would seem heavier than what it really was so that they would make more money. But secondly, uh, you can see it in the woman here. The reason why it's a woman in the basket is not because the Bible is somehow misogynistic. It's very easy to claim those sort of things these days, isn't it? But it's because one of the great sins in Israel's history was the worship of gods from other nations, which were often in the visual form of a woman. Now, for example, the Asherah, which was a foreign god, was often depicted as a small woman uh, in, in, in small statues. And so what, God, what Zechariah sees here is the unrepentant greed and idolatry of the people of Israel. And what happens to this basket with a woman inside? Well, you can see there in verse 9 that uh, there are two other women who uh, seem to have wings who pick up the basket. And uh, just a few verses later, in verse 11, they, they fly the basket uh, to a place called Shinar, um, which is another word for Babylon, where um, 
is built for the basket, or, or a temple is built for the basket, and the basket is put on a base or a pedestal in that particular temple. Again, uh, it's a very strange sight. And so what is all this about? Uh, well, I think the best explanation of what is going on here is that the vision Zachariah sees is actually a parody of the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what the Ark of the Covenant was in, in Old Testament history? Uh, if, if you don't, uh, we're going to throw up a, uh, a picture here. Um, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was a, a small golden box, basically. And uh, inside the Ark of the Covenant were, uh, was, were the Ten Commandments, which was all about being God's righteous people. Uh, on top of the golden box was a golden lid. And on top of that lid were two winged creatures, as you can see. And in between these winged creatures, God had promised his people that he would dwell with his people when the ark was placed in his temple. Uh, we can take down the, the, uh, the picture now, yes? And so that's the ark of the covenant. But what do we see in this vision? Well, rather than a golden box, a precious golden box, we see a cheap woven box. Rather than ten righteous commandments inside, we see wickedness. Rather than a golden lid on top of the box, we see a cheap lid made from lead. Rather than being placed in God's temple so that uh, God would be worshipped, we see the basket uh, being flown by two other winged creatures into a temple in Babylon, and the basket being placed in that temple so that all those who worship idols can gather around and worship. That is, what God is doing here in this vision is He's removing all traces of greed and idolatry from His city as well as all those who engage in greed and idolatry from his city and placing them in the land of Babylon so that they can join the rest of the world in worshipping these idols. And again, friends, if you and I belong to Jesus, this ought to be both a comfort and a warning to us. It ought to be a comfort because you and I know just how awful it is to live in a world full of greedy and idolatrous, idolatrous people. Is that true? You and I have a taste of how awful it is to live in a world of greed and idolatry. And God says that one day, he will remove such people from his presence, you see. But on the other hand, it ought to be a warning to us because so often we are greedy and idolatrous, aren't we? We flirt with these things. And I want to suggest that greed in particular is particularly deceptive because it's such an invisible kind of thing. And no one ever 
thinks of themselves as greedy. I mean, you don't know how much money I make. Well, exactly, you probably do because you can see it in the financial reports coming out. But generally speaking, we don't know uh, how much money we make. And you don't know whether I'm hoarding my money or uh, whether I'm you making my money, you know, go to good use for the sake of the gospel. I don't know what you do with your money. I don't know whether you've been hoarding your money and worshipping your money or making your money be used for God-honoring purposes. And so because it's so invisible, we often don't think of ourselves as greedy, you see. Uh, a while back, um, Tim Keller, whom some of you might know, uh, a well-known minister in America, put on a series of seminars uh, on the seven deadly sins, uh, which was an absolute sellout from all reports. You know, uh, on the first week when the topic was at last, apparently heaps of men uh, came to the seminar because, you know, they all were happy to admit that they struggled with lust and that they wanted to change. When the topic was envy, lots of people came because they struggled with envy. When the topic was gluttony or anger or pride or sloth, the room was packed with people because everyone was happy to confess these sins and make changes to their lives because they wanted to repent. But strangely, on the very final day, when the topic was greed, apparently no one turned up. You see, no one thinks of themselves as greedy anymore. Is that true? But make no mistake, friends, God is very clear that those who are greedy and idolizing money or wealth or possessions by worshipping these things have no place in his city. In the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, listen very carefully, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, notice, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, stealing, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God, says Paul. And such were some of you, Paul goes on. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There are two sides to this passage, isn't there? My brothers and sisters, if you were once like this, but have repented and are continuing to repent and turn to Jesus in your life, then you have the wonderful assurance of God of being watched of your sin and sanctified, that is, made holy for God's purposes, and justified, that is, made right before God by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful news? But if you continue to live this way, without repentance, without making changes in our lives, then you and I have no place in the kingdom of God. 
a rebuke is God's word. Be washed. Be sanctified. Be justified by the blood of our Lord Jesus. Now, finally, uh, we come to the last vision that Zacharias sees, and you can see there in uh, chapter six, verse one. Chapter six, verse one. That is a vision of four chariots with horses. Uh, there's a chariot with red horses, and a chariot with black horses, and a chariot with white horses, and a chariot with spotted horses. Uh, chariots might seem a little bit ho-hum, uh, you know, these days, but let me assure you that in the ancient world, uh, they were the equivalent of the F-16 fighter jet. In other words, they were ruthless killing machines. But uh, what are the chariots doing in this vision? Well, if you have a look at verse 5, you can see there that the angel says to Zechariah that these four horses are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord. Um, I don't think what's happening here is the horses going out to the winds. Uh, I think a better translation of, of uh, uh, what's going on here is that the four chariots themselves are the winds that God is sending from heaven. And where will they go? Well, in verse 6, you can see that some go north and some go south. Now, it's not as though God has forgotten about east and west here. It's just that in the history of Israel, uh, the main enemies of God and the main enemies of his people were usually to the north and to the south. Uh, you may remember that Assyria and Babylon were uh, in, the, in the direction of north. And uh, Egypt was the other enemy that was to the south of Israel. And so this is a picture of God's armies being sent to the north and being sent to the south in order to deal with the enemies of God, including, this is very important, including those who have been taken out of God's city and placed in Babylon, which we saw in the previous vision. It's not as though God just, you know, takes people out of his city and plants them in Babylon so that they can continue to sin and be greedy and idolatrous to their heart's content. No, what is happening here is that God is going to go after them in judgment. And what will the chariots of God do? Well, in verse 7, you can see that they are being sent to patrol the earth. Uh, not to patrol the earth um, like, you know, the, the horses that we saw in the first vision were called to patrol the earth. They were just kind of gathering information in the first vision. But in this last vision, these chariots and horses are being sent out to seek out and destroy in a way that sets God's spirit at rest. Notice in the final verse, in a way that sets God's spirit at rest in the North Country. Now, that's not a picture of someone sitting in a security drinking Chardonnay. It's a picture of a warrior who is resting after killing his enemies. It's a frightening picture, isn't it, friends? It's unpleasant thinking about the final judgment of God 
where God will destroy his enemies and the unrepentant. But the thing is, we all want to see a world that is restored, don't we? We all want to see a world that is at peace, don't we? We all want to see a world where the wrongs of this world will be put right. We might even cry out to God for these things in our desperate moments. But you can see here that you cannot have a world that is restored and is at peace and is put right if there are people who are unrepentant in their stealing and lying and greed and idolatry and ultimately opposition to the Creator. So at the heart of what is wrong with this world is that people have rejected their Creator. And so God will finally put things right, not only by transforming His own people to one day ultimately be righteous like the Lord Jesus, but by destroying those who refuse to repent and bow the knee to Jesus. In the New Testament, we are told that this end-time judgment is coming. It is coming with the risen Lord Jesus, who will bring his mighty angels to confront those who do not know God and who refuse to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in our New Testament reading from 2 Thessalonians that they will suffer eternal judgment, eternal destruction, and be cast away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of God. And so, if you are someone who knows God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then make sure you are living a life of repentance and obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But if you are here this morning and you do not know God through the Lord Jesus, then make sure you turn to Jesus before that terrible day of judgment that is sure to come. Cry out to him for forgiveness. Trust in what he has done for you by dying on the cross for your sins. And ask him to help you to live a changed life. For those who return to God in this way are assured of forgiveness, and assured a place in God's city rather than a place in Babylon, which will one day be destroyed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning, and uh, we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him, uh, sinners like us have a refuge from your rightful uh, judgment and anger on humans and have the assurance of being washed and sanctified and justified before you. Father, we thank you today for the reminder of just how much you hate sin in our lives. Indeed, uh, it is your hatred of sin that made it necessary for our Lord Jesus to go to the cross. And so, uh, as your people who have been forgiven and washed, sanctified, 
and justified before you. We pray that you would give us a similar hatred of sin in our lives so that we might repent of those things that do not please you. And Father, if there are any here this morning who are living in unrepentant sin, whether it be stealing or greed or idolatry or sexual immorality or whatever else, we pray that you might grant them repentance. And we pray that you might help them and uh, us not to be deceived into thinking that there is any protection anywhere else outside of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also pray for each of us this morning that in repenting of sin, we might taste and see just how wonderful it is to return to you and to make your way. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.